Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan. It is always a pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we discuss topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and hopefully need. Today, my friends, we are talking about routed optical networking and in particular, how it is a part of the converged SDN transport architecture and is a new network paradigm that delivers improved operational efficiencies and simplicity. What does this mean? I do not know, but I do know who will help us uncover what you want to know. Our phenomenal Cisco champion hosts, David, Liam, and Shai, and our resident expert, Waleed. So let's get started with the introductions. Waleed, we're going to start with you. Can you tell us more about who you are and what exactly you do at Cisco? So again, my name is Waleed. Um, I'm a distinguished engineer at Cisco. My, my main focus at Cisco is future architectures. I work in the MIG organization where we focus on system slash network slash future architectures um, across multi-layers in the network. All right. I love how it sounds. Imagine that I work in future architectures and then... Nobody can prove me wrong, David. Nobody can prove me wrong. Yes, imagine (laughs) 10 years later, you would just be the one saying, I told you so. I'm like, oh! (laughs) (laughs) All right, David, you're up next. Who are you? Okay, so, well, uh, my name is David Penaloza. I'm a consulting engineer for Verizon, and I work every day with SD-WAN and a little bit of sarcasm here and there. Just a little bit. Liam, who are you? Well, my name's Liam Keegan. Uh, I am a, uh, I own a uh, Cisco partner in VAR out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, I spend most of my days uh, doing technology work across Collab, security, enterprise networking. So touch a little bit of everything. Uh, and so I'm excited to learn more about routed optical network because I know nothing about it. So I'm excited to ask the, 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 the 101 questions. All right. Shai, last but not least. I'm Shai Silbrin. I'm the director of network uh, services for San Jose State University. Uh, also, uh, I've taken my dip into sarcasm and I'm uh, uh, trying to also set the future technologies of uh, the university as far as like what we need to be doing uh, years uh, down the road Ooh. and also Verizon customer. So feel good. I don't know it. what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and, and, and I've been known that, you know, to be uh, not so shy at times. Yes. Hashtag do not be shy. All right, Waleed, before the champs kick off the discussion, in particular, Liam's going to ask the first question. Can you give us um, a high level introduction of what we're actually talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about the routed optical network. The routed optical network is a new architecture that we're introducing at Cisco. In essence, the goal of the routed optical network is to provide an end-to-end solution, a solution that will enable you to grow your network, bring services to your customers at a faster pace, and deliver on SLAs that meet and exceed today's levels of service level agreements. It consists of three key pillars. One being integrate optics by coll- integrating optics and collapsing layers. The second being bringing automation end-to-end to the solution. And the final layer being simplifying the network by provisioning your services in a hop-to-hop or router-to-router fashion. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Does, that make <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, it, it does. So, so, so just kind of <laughs> diving into it, like how is routed optical networking different than just traditional networking, right? What are the things that, that make, it, make it unique? So, 
So if, if you think about um, today's networks, for example, in today's networks, they're, multi, they're hierarchical, they're multi-layer. In essence, I have my packet layer, which is the upper layer where my services typically terminate. I'll then connect into my OTN switch or TDM switch type, type platform, which handles typically my private line services and acts as an aggregator to my routed services and other services. And then this connects into the DWDM layer. I have this hierarchy in my networks. And if you think about it, it's like if you guys are anything like me um, being uncoordinated when I was younger, it's like in gym class when you're trying to jump rope and, you know, being uncoordinated, you trip over the rope. Well, by having these different layers in the network, it's hard to get coordination and optimize the network. Just like jumping rope in, in gym class, you have to be coordinated. Now, with the routed optical network, what we're doing is converging these layers. We're collapsing services on the packet layer, and we're bringing end-to-end -end automation to the network while simplifying the underlying layer by, by providing the ability to provision your services router-to-router -router or hop-to-hop. In the end, not only does it simplify your network, but at the same time, it will save you in the order of greater than 40% in total cost of network ownership. So, so it, it kind of sounds like you're trying to jump rope with multiple people uh, is kind of how I'm hearing it. Uh, so are, are we now talking about take eliminating the CPE and integrating the CPE onto the optical SFP, essentially? Not, not necessarily the CPE. So if you look at your network from multiple layers, so I have my, my core network, I have my, my aggregation metro regional network, I go into my access and into the CPE. Now... In, in essence, what the Reddit Optical Network is saying is, when I aggregate my services, let's aggregate my services efficiently. Let's, let's leverage the power of routing and let's stat mux all these services together. And rather than going out and trying to coordinate across multiple people, based on your analogy of jumping rope, rather than doing that, let's focus on a single layer. Let's converge the services, focus on a single layer, and let's eliminate equipment from the network, which is causing human errors. It's causing the possibility of more failures in the network. Let's eliminate that equipment, reduce power, reduce real estate, and integrate the optics in the router at the same time, taking advantage of the routing control plane for resiliency, taking, taking advantage of provisioning services hop to hop in order to efficiently get the services into the network, and at the same time, reduce cost. Okay, I want to jump in a little because you just mentioned services in, in several locations, but I want the people listening to understand what do we mean with services. When you're a service provider, anything that you offer to the customer is a service. But as a service provider, you also have internal services on which the ones you offer rely on, don't you? So let's just talk first about what exactly are we converging, but internally for us. Let's not uh, let's, let's split it into what you get for the provider and then what you get towards the customer. So we understand the difference between which one is those, which one is the service we're talking about. So when we mentioned that we are converging things there. So uh, you mentioned that there are several devices in the way and all that. So would you mind in elaborating? How does the traffic get delivered towards the edge? When you're a provider, you have your core, then you would have some uh, copper optics, and then at some point you will need a transponder. How is that flow happening? So what do we need to get to the 
to the edge. If, if you look at it from a service provider perspective, David, um, so in my world, in my view, the service can be a service provider service. That service can be a customer service. In, in the essence, even if it's a customer service, even if it's internal paper money, you get paid as a provider when the service mm-hmm. enters at the ingress point, exits at the egress point. It doesn't matter how it gets there or the layers that it traverses to get there. In today's networks, what I have to do is when the service enters the network, it typically enters on the packet layer. When it goes from the packet layer, we then end up typically either moving it into a transponder or we move the service into an OTN switch to be aggregated with multiple other services. At that stage, the transponder then takes the gray light, if you will, short reach interfaces, pluggable interfaces, and it converts it to DWDM or colored light where it gets muxed into the fiber plant, where it's carried to the destination. Typically, when it hits the fiber plant, we typically use bypass technologies where we bypass intermediate router locations and we go right to the destination. That's how we typically build networks. When we get to the destination, we do the reverse, of course. We receive the colored light, convert it to gray, give it to the OTN switch to break down into channels or feed directly into the router. We basically do the reverse functions. The problem with that today is the services are getting larger and larger. The pipes coming off the packet network are getting larger and larger to a point that I'm not gaining anything from an aggregation layer. We're seeing advances in protocols. We're seeing advances in standards where we're doing things such as circuit emulation, private line emulation, which is giving the packet network the ability to take advantage of what the OTN network was good at, which is transparent services with a guaranteed bandwidth. If you look at technology such as circuit style segment routing, private line emulation, I can now deliver that over a packet network. If I can deliver it over a packet network and the aggregation layer isn't giving me any benefit, well, why do Mm -hmm. I need that intermediate switching layer? Why don't I go directly from the packet to the transponder? But then we have to ask ourselves, that transponder is taking power and space and adding cost to the network. What if I could take that DWDM aspect of the transponder and put that directly into the router? Now I remove that equipment from the network. I remove that space. I remove that power. I remove that cost. And in essence, I'm building a greener network. I'm reducing the power and I'm reducing the footprints. At the same time, saving cost. Now, from a service perspective, it doesn't matter if it's the customer service, the service provider's end customer, or if it's the internal service. The key is now I have a single layer, single control plane where I can truly optimize the resources in the network. And, and so, so I mean, obviously these, these service providers are massive, right? There's no way that we're going to go to Verizon and we're going to say, all right, tomorrow we're going to need you to turn off all your old legacy stuff and then turn on routed optical, right? So t- talk us through a little bit about there's got to be a transition between legacy, I've got these 19 boxes all stacked in a row, and a routed optical network. How does, that, how does a carrier manage that or a service provider manage that? Well, I think you're, you've, you're already seeing from in the past and, and existingly, what you're already seeing is a transition taking place within service providers going from legacy 
TDM type services, low speed services to pack it. And the main reason they're doing that is basically the life of the infrastructure that they have, the legacy equipment, the life life cycle of that equipment, plus the power and space that they're consuming. But independent of that, in our view, you don't need to do a turn off and move. You can grow in phases. You can maintain the existing equipment. That existing equipment's already connected into a DWDM system. What you can do is cap and grow. So in other words, cap those services where they're at. As I turn up new services, move them over to this new architecture, enabling me to cap and grow. And then as you feel value needed or benefit, you can start taking the rest of the services off as you want to free up power and space, or you might decide, hey, it's not broken. So so why fix it? Let's keep those capped and just stick with new services traversing over the new architecture. But, but, but really from a, oh, sorry, just, just a quick follow on. From a, from a client or from a customer perspective, not the service provider, but their, their clients, they wouldn't know the difference that their, that their traffic is going over routed optical. I mean, this is all core and metro sort of Exactly. The, the key right, Liam, is, you know, in the end, your, your customer is expecting a service level agreement, a high available service from the service providers. So why they're going to the Verizons, the AT&Ts, et cetera, because they want, they're expecting a high level of service and a high level of availability. And the key is you can meet those SLAs and both architectures enable you to do so. Well, for practical purposes, the customers never know that the line is emulated. They only care about the point of attachment and if it's getting the service to them or not. They don't wonder too much about it being emulated or being a physical cable getting up down to the CE. I agree, David. And it, it really comes down at the end to cost, right? How much is it costing me? Um, but I think at the same time, though, there's this perception, and that's what we've done with PLE, private line emulation and circuit style segment routing. What we've done there was to enable many customers expect to have a transparent guaranteed bandwidth service. And what we've done with private line emulation, which is in draft state in the IETF, and what we've done with circuit style segment routing, we enabled the ability to carry such services. Transparent, guaranteed bandwidth, your typical protect mechanisms over a packet network. So. So, well, I mean, we, I keep kind of hearing, uh, you know, we're talking about consolidation function is into the router. Uh, we're talking about the, you know, saving on energy costs. Uh, and this is in the core. So, I mean, typically, uh, and when we kind of have to separate, uh, when we talk about MIGS, uh, we're talking about mass infrastructure. Uh, this is not uh, necessarily a, a something enterprises, although large enterprises could use this for their uh, their own um, their own infrastructure. Uh, but typically, this equipment would be in a data center, right? So this is where cooling, power, uh, it's all something that you pay for. Space is a big concern, uh, and and we're looking at at how to to really streamline. Uh, the fiber infrastructure in the cores that are in data centers, if I understand you correct. Realistically speaking, from, from a use case or application perspective, you, you can expand well beyond that. Even if I look at existing, for example, cell, cell site applications. Today in my cell networks, um, I can now connect multiple towers together using this architecture, efficiently aggregating the bandwidth, and increasing the longevity of my networks. Because if I think about it, the way I would do that today, the way I would build these services, even in a in a wireless backhaul type network, it's gonna be like a home run, source to destination routing, source to destination, 
where the Reddit Optical Network says, let's be efficient with these use these resources. Let me go instead of source to destination, let me go source to my neighbor, aggregate it onto a larger pipe, and continue across the ring. Therefore, increasing the longevity of my system by having fewer wavelengths required, and at the same time, building efficiencies. You can even take this theoretically into a campus network. We've modeled networks from very small access networks of a core diameter of 100 kilometers to massive networks that span 84,000 kilometers of fiber. And what we're consistently seeing is reduced cost, reduced power, and reduced real estate. And if you think about it, you know, I believe most of us today, um, we're trying to leave, you know, a better a better future for, for our kids and grandkids. And what we've actually been doing now is looking at the carbon footprint as well. Um, as you know, it's directly related to the power and real estate. And even from a carbon footprint, you're seeing a drastic reduction. In the past, what everybody used to talk about the green network. Well, you're, you're actually truly seeing what, what reducing components in the network does, not only from availability to the customer and cost, but what it does from, from a carbon footprint at the same time. You truly are building a network that is green. What speeds are you able to support nowadays with router uh, optical networks? So with the Reddit Optical Network, the Reddit Optical Network is about integrating um, pluggables, QSFP DDs. They operate at 400 gigabits per second. They're tunable. Um, if you look at it from a ZR, which is the standard, the OIF standard ZR, it's a 400 gig line side DWDM coherent interface in a QSFP DD four factor. There's also an MSA that defines a 400 gig ZR plus, which is a longer reach optic and it's 400 gig, but also tunable down to 300, 200 and 100 gig at the same time on the line side. Now this, this is in a QSFP DD form factor, double density form factor that plugs directly, directly in the router with zero capacity trade-offs. It's, it's like plugging a short reach pluggable in the router versus plugging in this coherent optic. With the technology advancements we're making, we're achieving zero capacity trade-off rather than having to place external equipment in order to take that gray interface or short reach interface and converting it to DWDM. I believe this is also because of not just a pluggable uh, coherent optic, but also uh, because of the power that the CPU requires because all of these wouldn't be possible without the CPU also working in the background to move all that stuff over, right? So it's also because the CPU is greener. The, exactly. If in fact it's it's really interesting um, when 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 you look at networks because the the nature of networks they're hierarchical. I have a packet team that works on the packet layer. Um, I have an optical team that works on the optical layer. I have an OTN team that works on my OTN layer, for example. We all get caught up in our layers and we do that because of technology life cycle. But if you think about what our real goal is, our goal is to take a customer service, have it internal, external customer service, get it from a source to destination. And one of the things you have to look at is what's taking place at the packet layer. And to your point, David, um, what you're seeing is 
from an NPU perspective, the network processing units, from the NPU perspective, we're seeing massive scale. In the last 12 years, 80 times growth in a single NPU, in a single ASIC, um, you know, upwards of greater than 25 terabits, path to over 50 terabits in a single ASIC, direction to over 100 terabits in a single ASIC. You need to get that capacity off that router and you have to get it across the network. Now, to do that, you have to look at efficient ways to do so and cost-effective ways to do so. Rather than focusing on the layer, what we're saying is let's focus on the network. Let's bring solutions together that provide end-to-end automation and management and ensures efficient utilization of bandwidth across the network. Well, you brought something interesting um, about here, but we're talking about like routered optical networks, but how, how is the router different than what we think of in, in terms of layer three here? Good question. And to be honest, it's the same thing. That's the beauty of it. The router, what we're doing is we're taking this router, which we used to pay for and put a short reach gray, for lack of a better term, short reach gray interface, optical interface in this router. And then what we used to do is take that gray interface and either connect it to an OTN switch or to a transponder where yet I would have another gray optical interface. If I had an OTN switch in there, well, I was doing a switching function just like my router was doing. And that switching function would have me come out with either a gray or colored interface into the DWDM mux, just like the transponder. It takes the gray interface, converts it to DWDM interface and puts it into the DWDM mux. The key difference with the router now, it's still the same router. The difference is I'm going to eliminate all those optoelectronic components down that chain. And what I'm going to do is just take that DWDM optic, the coherent optic, and plug that directly in the router. Yeah, by eliminating those devices, then you're, then you're getting rid of this particular loss that occurs when you're simply, well, talking both languages. It's, it's as if the optical and the... And the other side of the network, the OTN, they will be just talking into different languages. So in the moment I do the translation, then there is something lost in the parlance. So now by removing all those boxes, then it's one-to-one and I'm the only one talking here. So Exactly. It's now a single control plane. Rather than having my DWDM control plane, exactly, David, rather than my DWDM control plane, then my OTN control plane, then my packet control plane, and then on top of that, my packet switching in the router, my OTN switching, and my Rotom switching. I'm simplifying it. And it's just one control plane end-to-end, providing resiliency, protection, and restoration. So, so one of the things you mentioned earlier was that that the optics that the, the service provider uses to do the interconnects are 400 gig, right? And so traditionally in, in what you were, I think, calling gray network, which is more like SR, you know, LR, try to traditional you know, traditional SFPs, GBEX, right? It's sort of like you have one connection for one color of light, right? I mean, it's gray. Maybe, tell me if I'm wrong on this one. When, when you use DWDM, you can actually take the that 400 gig and you can have a 400 gig connection on one color of light and another 400 gig connection on another color of light. Right, I mean, I'm assuming that the service providers aren't really interested in just opening up the streets all the time to add more fiber, right? So Exactly, exactly. And so if you think about it, in today's networks, you have your fiber infrastructure. So if you start at the bottom of the stack, 
I have my fiber optic physical infrastructure that connects my buildings, my cities, etc. Now, my goal is to leverage that resource as best as I can. So what do I do? I put a DWDM layer on top of that fire, fi uh, excuse me, on top of that fiber. Now, when I put that on top of the fiber, what that's doing is multiplexing multiple colors of light together. Now, the key is it has to be an ITU wavelength. If I look at the pluggables we're leveraging today, as I said, they're 400 gig coherent color of light. So theoretically, if I just look at the most common band of operation in transport networks, it's the C band, that's 64 times 400 gig going into the fiber. On one piece of fiber. One piece of fiber, 64 times 400 gig. Now, realistically, you can even expand beyond that by adding an L band, but 64 by 400 gig on a single fiber. And that goes back into the router where I put my um, my client interfaces. So, you know, if I have, you know, 100 gig, 10 gig service, whatever the case, those services are, they'll get aggregated into that 400 gig to go out into the system. Is it me the only one seeing his eyes glistening every time he's explaining how much he can put into the pipe? <laughs> and, and, and the color of light. I, I keep thinking of... Of the dark side of the moon by Pink Floyd, you know, where you have the whole spectrum expanding out. <laughs> you have to admit, this stuff's fun, guys. This stuff's cool. It's like jumping rope, Chai. It's like jumping rope, man. <laughs> it's fun. It, it, yeah. Now, speaking of jumping ropes, I mean, the cool thing about this, as you talked about, is that this is OIF standard, which means that I can leverage this technology and all these advancements even on non-Cisco equipment. If I'm not mistaken, you, you hit it right on the head. And that's one of the beauties of the routed optical network. If, if you think about optical in the past, as you know, routing's typically, routing Ethernet's been standardized from I, IEEE, IETF. The protocols are standard. The interfaces are standard. Uh, well, optical, well, hold, hold on, David, for you, it's routing, not, not routing. I know. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I had to translate. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead, Walid. So... What was different was optical networks were typically closed. You bought a single vendor who provides you an end-to-end -end solution. The industry's moving away from that. The industry's moving to disaggregation. The industry's moving to open source standards. And what we're finding is now what we're doing is we're building the whole solution on standards and open source from the automation stack with common models developed in different forums, such as OpenRotom, OpenConfig, um, ONF, IETF, common northbound models to talk to the software layer to enable automation where you could use Cisco's crosswork solution or you could use third party. Down to the DWDM being an open line system. Again, use Cisco's DWDM system or bring your own DWDM system. And as we already know, the packet layer has already been standardized. So it, it truly is an open standard solution enabling inter interop at any particular layer, letting you choose what you define as a win-win-win in the network. Okay, so then talking about standards, because then that begs some of the other questions I had in mind, is that if you talk about standards and control plane and fanciness and all that, then yeah, I see Shai actually uh, you know, emulating my uh, you know, play of hands. I'm sorry. Yeah, for that's those who can't being... see this, his hands are moving a thousand miles an hour. Yeah, that, that's me being <laughs> expressive. <Yeah. laughs> so when we talk about these standards then, uh, and we talk about protection, we talk about providing all these resiliency, then I hear you when you mentioned then segment routing. So then on top of all the stuff that happens on the 
transport layer uh, or well, all the control plane that, that it's below layer three, then what happens with all the magic that we put on top? Because also segment routing is a standard. So how much of that fairy dust are you going to throw there? So the interesting thing is, and, and that you, you bring up a very, very good point, right? Is there's, there's so many different aspects acting on the network. And, you know, we have some redundancy in the network. And to us, the goal is to get rid of that redundancy. So if, if you think about it, with what we're saying is you no longer need the optical control planes. You now are going to depend on the routing, the segment routing, the policies to deliver the resiliency in the network rather than depending on the optical control planes. If you think about it, in the packet world, we've been delivering on resiliency from day one when we built networks. We're taking advantage of that and we're delivering that into the networks, deeper into the networks. If, if you think about it, David, it goes back to the comment you made earlier about services. One thing I want to be clear is, you know, we build networks based on the technology lifecycle. So for example, I have a customer that comes and wants a service, wants a 50 gig service, have it internal, external, whatever. He comes to me wanting a 50 gig service. I feed that into my routing layer. Well, when I feed that into my routing layer, I account for failures, fiber failures. I account for different types of failures in my network. And what that 50 gig service comes out of my router, I'm just making up numbers here, probably exaggerating, comes out of the router at 100 gig. It's now a capacity that goes into my network that's delivering on resiliency. It's now a capacity. Now, if you think about the optical teams, now the optical teams, again, they don't care if it's an external customer or an internal customer, but it's a customer. And they need to deliver resiliency on that capacity. In their mind, that's a service, not a capacity. And based on the technology lifecycle, if you needed a transparent guaranteed bandwidth, well, I delivered that in OTN or a dedicated transponder. But what I did was I added additional capacity on top of that. Because for me, from the transport world, you're giving me a new service that I have to deliver SLAs on. So what happens is you get a snowball effect across the network. I start with a small capacity, sorry, a small demand turns into a capacity service for a different group, yet another capacity on top of that to give further resiliency. So the small bandwidth demand continually increases as it goes through the network. By leveraging a single control plane, I can optimize the network and deliver resiliency in one point in the network rather than multiple points in the network. No, I mean, it sounds like QoS plus 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 almost, right? Uh, I, I mean, can, can you look, I mean, you talk about services. I mean, let, let's take it to a practical example, talking about that uh, a provider like, like Verizon uh, on the East Coast. I mean, they're a telco. I mean, they do a wireless. They, they also do content uh, provisioning. Uh, give, give a more practical example of how somebody like Verizon or, or AT&T might, uh, might use this to deliver services. So if, if you look at it, say, let's let's just assume in the metro. So I'm, I'm in a metro network for Verizon or AT&T or, you know, whatever, Timo, whoever it might be. I'm in a metro area and I have multiple CO locations throughout the, throughout the network. Now, each one of these sites is aggregating different bandwidths coming into the network, having a customer service, having an internal service, have it their cell phone, whatever the case may be. They're all coming into these um, CO locations. Now, I need to get that bandwidth across the core network. So I got to go 
into the network. I got to aggregate that bandwidth. So what I would do today from an AT&T perspective, to today, AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, they'll take that capacity from the router. They'll feed it into, say, the transponder or OTN switch into the network, and they would provision it directly to the destination address. Now, that destination might bypass three, four, five routers slash rotoms in a bypass architecture along the way. Now, by doing so, if you think about it, I mentioned we have up to 400 gig wavelengths and pluggables. It's even more in transponders. But if you think about it, if it's only a 100 gig service, well, I'm mapping it to a wavelength that's capable of carrying 400 gig in a pluggable. And at Cisco, we announced our JANU product, Cisco Acacia, our JANU product, which is 1.2 terabits in a single wavelength. But I'm carrying 100 gig in that wavelength that's capable of carrying so much more. So I'm not efficiently utilizing it. So an AT&T, a Verizon, a you know, Timo, whomever, will then take that site and they would provision that service. They would put a 400 gig optic in it and provision that service rather than source to destination, they'd provision to its adjacent router, then provision to the next adjacent router, the next adjacent router along the path and what I'm doing there is I'm optimizing that wavelength carrying capacity. I'm optimizing the capacity in my network. By doing so for an AT&T or Verizon or whomever, I just increase longevity So not of my infrastructure. So not only am I saving cost and power, I'm also saving the amount of truck rolls I have to make to upgrade my network at the same time, driving down the total cost of network ownership. So beyond that, though, it definitely sounds like from a carrier perspective, by kind of going in all in on the routed optical networking, that it's like it's a lot easier to deploy net new services, right? And then maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but like bandwidth, you know, if you're running DWDM optics and you have 4 billion, 400 gig channels, like all of a sudden the bandwidth doesn't become the issue. It, it just basically becomes, hey, how quickly can we roll this out? You mentioned earlier in in the in the podcast about doing that that this is built for automation. Can you just like, I mean, I'm assuming that that in the new paradigm you don't have somebody going and pasting configs in 400 routers, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? I think um, you know everybody knows Cisco's committed to automation. We've announced and released um, the Crosswork um, the Crosswork uh, family of products. We've actually acquired Sedona, who makes NetFusion. And what we're doing is our, our architecture is aligning to the IETF ACTN model, where you have a hierarchical controller that's vendor agnostic. It goes back to the standardization. You know, We believe in building the network and on open source and standards. So you have an HCO, which is your hierarchical controller. In our case, it would be Crosswork HCO, which is built on our Sedona acquisition. That would then feed down into domain controllers. These domain controllers, I'm defining a domain as a packet domain, optical domain, or a vendor domain, because not all um, optical, optical, as much as we're trying to get standardized, typically each vendor has their own controller. So what you end up doing is you go from your HCO, your hierarchical controller, to these domain controllers. These domain controllers act on the network with device models. They collect inventory, they push configs, but the thing is, it's the hierarchical controller via service models that will communicate the actions 
that it wants the network to take because it has the global view of the network. So it will push a service, it will push a config, it will do whatever, but the thing that acts on them is the domain controllers. Um, and that enables you, this hierarchical model, to more efficiently optimize the network at the same time and completely simplify the network, especially in a multi-vendor multi approach. Is it me listening you saying that the controller is going to act? So did you mean intent? So you're just going to tell the controller, give me a sandwich. And the controller is, oh, so I heard you want a private line on that router. Exactly. There, there'll be there'll be an intent component to to the solution. Most definitely, there'll be an intent component to the solution. Um, the what you're going to see from an automation perspective, and I think I think the industry, as much as we talk about automation, I think the industry is in, um, I'd say, early form of automation. Like for example, I find humorous. I spoke to one customer that wanted this automation solution, wanted fully automated, but then he asked me, but before it reacts, can it send me a notice for me to say, yes, it's acceptable or not acceptable? And then I push the button. So I think automation to me becomes dependent on, on, the, actual, on the actual use case and the customer and the level of depth you want to take with it. My view is automate what's repetitive. What you do repetitively, what's error prone, automate it as a first step and then move from there. That sounds like a marriage advice. <laughs> <laughs> marriage advice we haven't even got into machine learning if you want real if you want real marriage advice we need to get into machine learning <laughs> and artificial intelligence man come on <laughs> wow i'm not touching that one uh, i let it die there <laughs> but, but I, I, I will ask i mean we talked about orchestration uh and automation and and hopefully i mean uh, i guess uh, that's going to drive uh, based on the capabilities that the router vendor provides. Uh, but what about like uh, in-depth monitoring of what's happening uh, on this QSFPs? I mean, do we have enhanced monitoring, dedicated monitoring? Because, uh, I mean, it's, it, you don't want it to be, I guess, dependent on how much time the router vendor invests into providing visibility into this. Very good point and ex extremely good point. And so from a management perspective, so just to reiterate what you said, from, from a management perspective in today's networks, my transport equipment, not only are they in the network, but they provide clear, clear PMs, performance monitoring capabilities and alarm monitoring capabilities to help isolate issues. One of the benefits or one of the key aspects of moving to the routed optical network and integrating that optic is we actually take those PM parameters with us. And we expose those parameters northbound as well to be consumed by Cisco's solution. Or again, as I mentioned, a third-party solution. I prefer a Cisco solution, of course. Um, um, we have a different advantages for using the Cisco solution, but rather than marketing that, we do give you the flexibility to define what, what that solution looks like. We do have those same PMs that you would expect from a transponder, the forward error correction data, the alarms, the threshold crossing alerts, that data is available and exposed northbound. Oh God, I wonder one, one of these controls are home, but <laughs> sounds too <laughs> you, magical. You, by the way, Liam, <laughs> you guys, you guys 
do any rope jumping you know on the side or anything jump rope or in colorado it's mostly like the cowboy uh cattle lassoing so that's about as close as we get out here so you need to have you need to have a pet that is a cow or you you can do that here yes imagine that so oh yes. that's a nice dog mm. oh wait it's a big dog <laughs> big dog <laughs> What a bug. Careful, sometimes the dog has a horse. <laughs> okay, Emily, I think we are. All right, I, I think that's my cue to wrap here. Well, nicely done, gentlemen. This this has been a great episode. Um, if you want to learn more about Reddit Optical Networking, check out the links in the description below. And I like to remind you every week, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. Hope uh, you check back in with us next week.